gospel, that is. We'll be in the 16th chapter, and we'll start at the 16th verse. So if you'll turn to John chapter 16, verse 16 is where we're going to begin reading. If you need a Bible to follow along with us, just raise your hand, and Pastor John in the back will slip your Bible, because we're going to finish chapter 16 and actually move into chapter 17 to verse 5 is what the plan is and what... Um, we are going to be covering this morning. So John chapter 16, verse 16. We covered the first 15 verses last week um, as we moved into chapter 16. And remember, in this section of John's gospel that Jesus is teaching and he is sharing uh, to his disciples for the very last time before his arrest and crucifixion, it is his final night before his death on Calvary's cross. And as we have seen very clearly that sorrow and confusion and trouble had filled the hearts of these 11 disciples that are his. Now keep in mind that when they were in the upper room that Judas has already left. He left the upper room. Jesus said, what you must do, do quickly. And he is with the religious leaders right now gathering a detachment of troops that will go into the Garden of Gethsemane to betray uh, Jesus, will be Judas, and to have the soldiers arrest him, bound him up, and take him back to Jerusalem to where he will begin a series of trials, beginning with the religious leaders. So we saw that Judas left that upper room, and then at the end of chapter 14, Jesus said, let us arise and go from this place. So the indication here from Scripture is they would leave that upper room somewhere in Jerusalem. They would begin to make their way across the city. They would pass the temple, cross the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on their way, Jesus is finishing this discourse with them, telling them that they are to abide in Him, that, um, that He is the vine. And we looked at that in chapter 15. And then as we move into chapter 16, Jesus continuing to just share with them, giving them comfort. Uh, and these guys, even though they're listening to him, they don't fully understand everything that was going to happen. He has been saying that he's going to leave them, of course, speaking of going to the cross and eventual ascension back to the Father after his resurrection. But still, they don't understand the events that are about ready to take place as we continue through John's gospel. So, Father, we do pray that this morning... As we continue in chapter 16, Jesus speaking to his disciples in this final night, I just pray on this final Sunday of the year that, Lord, these words would be words of comfort and instruction and edification to us as well. Lord, we know that we can go through life. Maybe perhaps this year has been a year of sorrow or uh, confusion or difficulty or tribulation. Of, uh, we've all gone through that uh, one sort or one degree or another. And, and Lord, as we look at the new year, perhaps there's uncertainty. Perhaps there is uh, worry and, and uh, hearts are anxious. But Lord, we know that you desire to just remind us that we can be of good cheer because you've overcome the world. And Lord, how we need that assurance and that promise and may we be established in it. So, Lord, I do pray that you would just bless everyone who got up, who made the effort to be here this morning, um, that can, can be here and are here, that, Lord, right now we would be just opening our hearts to hear from you in a very real, very special way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So at the end of the previous chapter, chapter 15, 
uh, as we moved into chapter 16, Jesus would also speak a coming persecution that would come to them. Jesus said, I, I tell you these things so that you're not made to stumble. And of course, we stumble over things that we don't see. We don't see something or we're not expecting it. We stumble over it. He's telling them, I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to be shocked. And, and whenever something happens that we're not expecting, it can confuse us. It can shock us. It can trouble us. And, and so he says that, listen, this tribulation, this, this persecution is going to come against you because a servant isn't above his master. And if they hated me and persecuted me, they're going to hate you and persecute you for my namesake. You'll be put out of the synagogue. They're even going to kill you. And as you look at it historically, we know that the apostles, that it is believed that every single one of these 11, with the exception of John, who had lived to be an elderly man, uh, exiled to the island of Patmos. John, he would be persecuted, but is believed that he died of natural death. But the other 10 would die, uh, uh, you know, as martyrs for Jesus Christ. But Jesus, in this chapter, continuing as he's being honest with them, is he saying that persecution is going to come, I'm going to go away. He's continuing to bring that comfort and hope to these disciples. As he says, that it's to your advantage that I do go away so that the Holy Spirit, he may come to you. And we read Jesus tells of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world, as we read that last week in verses 8 through 11, that he's going to judge the world of sin, second of all, of righteousness and then of judgment. We looked at that quite extensively, what that means. And then as we concluded last week in verses 13 through 15, he tells us of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. He will guide you in all truth. He is the spirit of truth. So Jesus here, he's going to continue to speak to his disciples. Again, they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He will tell them that the sorrow that they have presently is going to be turned into joy eventually. Let's pick up our text at verse 16 of John 16. A little while, as Jesus is telling them, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me because I go to the Father. So again, the disciples being troubled, they have sorrow in their hearts, they're confused. In a little while, Jesus says that you will not see me. He, again, is only a few hours away from going to the cross to die and then be put into the tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, a religious leader who owned a tomb close to Calvary, a tomb that had never been used. And Jesus is just going to borrow it for three days. And then he's going to rise from the grave. He's going to resurrect. And then these guys are going to come to understand what he has been saying to them. They will see him. He will then eventually ascend to the Father. Now, in the previous verses, he talked about how the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Helper is going to come. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. But it's to your advantage that I go away so that the Holy Spirit will come and the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you and to you and me as believers is to teach us and to guide us in truth. And the Holy Spirit will never contradict what the Word of God has declared because the Word is truth as we're going to see in chapter 17. Jesus said, I am the truth, the, the way, the truth, and the life. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And He will teach us and He's going to show them, open up their eyes to where they're going to understand the things 
that have taken place that Jesus has been talking about. But right now, they can't figure out what it is that he is telling them. So they begin to discuss it among themselves, verse 17. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us, a, li a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? And because I go to the Father, they said, Therefore, what is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he is saying. So in their confusion, in their troubled hearts, they begin to gather together, these 11. And they're gathering, and they begin to talk about him. They begin to, to say, what is he talking about? Uh, and what does he mean? They're having this discussion among themselves, saying, what is he saying in a little while here? Interesting that they're talking amongst themselves instead of talking to him directly. Sometimes we do that. There's nothing wrong with having discussions about the Lord or what we read in the scriptures. We should be doing that and, and encourage each other. But we don't want to forget that we are to go to the Lord as well and ask for understanding, for him to, to clarify, to teach us, and to minister to us. So I don't know what he means. Do you know what he means, Matthew? No. Do you know what he means, Thomas? What about you, Philip? We don't know what he's saying. And Jesus is right there with them, but they don't go directly to him. And so Jesus, in his all-knowing wisdom and in his patience, he says to them, as he knew that they desired to ask him, verse 9, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus' death is going to bring sorrow to them. They're already experiencing that sorrow. They're going to spend the next day and the following three days weeping and lamenting and full of fear over Jesus' death. It, it would be very sorrowful and painful days for his disciples and for those who believed in Jesus, who loved him, who followed after him. But Jesus says something very important. He says that that sorrow is going to be turned into great joy. When they hear the reports that on the first day of the week that the tomb is empty and we saw him, that he's alive. Jesus is alive. He's risen from the grave. And then their sorrow will be turned into joy. But I want us to notice something here, that Jesus does not say that he will replace their sorrow with joy or that he will take away their sorrow. But their sorrow will be turned into joy. He will bring them through that time of sorrow and difficulty. And so now he gives an illustration of this as we continue in verse 21. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. We know that a woman that is in labor because the time has come for that child to be born, and in the labor process, of course, uh, that woman, any woman, will go through pain, will go through great pain. And that very process of going through the labor pain will lead to a baby being born and will provide joy. And because of the joy that the mother has for that child being born, She's going to forget about the pain. And that pain, that sorrow, has been turned into joy. So it's a wonderful illustration. 
for any of you mothers that when you had your child, when you had children, the, the pain of labor, of going through that process. But as soon as that child is born and you looked at them and, and you're holding that, that little baby in your arms, I know it's true for, for Sue and all four of our kids. They will, you know, Sue will tell you that it was worth it going through the labor process. And I'm sure moms that you feel the same way. That it's worth it for all of your children to be born, the life that was brought. Well, here Jesus is using that illustration that your sorrow, guys, is going to be turned into joy because the, the, the pain that I am going to go through in going to the cross and giving my life is going to bring, sorrow, is going to bring joy and be turned into joy because that eternal life is going to come to you in forgiveness of sin. And you're going to see me again. And I will go to my Father, and I will prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And so the Lord will work that same truth, the same precept that he's talking about in their present situation as he gives the illustration of a woman giving birth to a child to where he will work that in our lives as well. He will take that which causes us sorrow and pain and work it to where he will turn it into joy. An example of that that we see in Scripture, I can't help but think about in Genesis with the story of Joseph. Joseph in Genesis, one of Jacob's sons, and he was thrown into a pit by his brothers who were jealous and envious of him, and they sold him off into slavery. And there Joseph was in the house of Potiphar as the main servant and, and steward of the house. He was wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife of making advances when it was her that was doing it. And Joseph, that godly man with godly integrity, said, how can I do this wicked thing before my God? And he ran. Well, he ended up being in prison, in, in, in jail, and it was a terrible place, and he was there for years. And then eventually, as he would experience that difficulty and that pain and probably confusion, Lord, I, I desired to please you and live for you. Why am I in this pit? And all of a sudden, one day, his sorrow got turned into joy, and he became the prime minister. And that very thing that caused him pain to him and to his father Jacob, who thought he was dead, would be turned into joy. And Joseph would say to his brothers eventually as they would come and meet, you know, Joseph and get grain from him. And they eventually would come and have a family reunion that Joseph would say to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good to preserve life. And Jesus, who was despised by his brethren, would go through the agony and the suffering and death of the cross that would cause these disciples to lament and to weep and the world rejoice. But their sorrow would turn into joy as he would resurrect from the grave to give life to give life to those who would believe on him. God wants to work that same precept, that same truth in our lives. We all go through sorrow, don't we? We all go through pain. We all go through tribulation. As we enter into a new year, uh, perhaps you might enter into the new year feeling pain or confusion or difficulty in your own life. But the Lord desires to turn that pain into joy. Having Him as your Lord, having His promises that you can stand on, allowing Him to work in our lives. Those of us who have experienced loss of a loved one, as it causes pain, those who have gone home to be with the Lord, that it will be turned into joy. One day we'll all be together. And God will get us through the pain 
and he will help us and he'll strengthen us and he will work life and good in the situation, whatever it might be, as we just look to him and trust in him and rest in his love. And verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. When Jesus died for our sins on that cross, he would cry out, it is finished, wouldn't he? And we know when he cried out, it is finished, what he was saying was something very extremely important that we need to understand as Christians. He was saying, the work is done. I've paid the price for sinful humanity. I've made atonement for your sins. And now we come in faith. We can't work for our salvation. It's not by works, but by faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. He did the work on Calvary's cross. It is finished. The synoptic gospels record that when Jesus cried out, it is finished, then the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies there in the temple was rent in half. It was torn in half from top to bottom. And for the very first time, those priests that were in the holy place could look into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies, of course, as you know from our Old Testament study, was where the Shekinah glory of God was. Only the, the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. But now what that symbolized and the message that was given when that veil was rent is now we have access to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And now I've died for your sins. And now we can have fellowship and relationship with the Father. Hebrews chapter 10, I love what the writer of Hebrews says, that we can come boldly, or that is with confidence, not our own confidence, but in the confidence of the blood of Jesus Christ into the Holy of Holies. And we can have fellowship and closeness with the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We know that John's records that we'll see here at the end of John's gospel, the recording of his resurrection, that as Mary Magdalene came to the tomb very early in the morning, that when she came on that first Easter morning and she looked in the tomb and she saw a couple angels, but the body of Jesus wasn't there. And as, you know, she, she turned around, she thought she supposed this person that she turned around and saw was the gardener and, and said, where is he? Where did you, did you move him? Did you put his body somewhere? Tell me where he is and I'll go and get him. And it was Jesus. And Jesus just spoke a word, Mary, and she knew that it was the Lord. And Jesus would tell Mary Magdalene there that I am ascending to my father and to your father. That's why I died, Mary, because it was to provide reconciliation with the father. And now you have relationship with the father through Jesus Christ. And he's the only way to the father. So now you can go and ask the Father in my name. Again, asking in Jesus' name is not just a magical formula to get what you want. It is asking according to the character and the nature and the will of the Father of Jesus. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. It is given by one who is abiding in him and obeying him. It is the third time in the upper room discourse that Jesus mentions prayer. And as we do pray, seeking God's will, God's direction, trusting him for our needs, the result will be a fullness of joy. Now, I think every single one of us in this room that we want a fullness of joy, don't we? We want that joy. We want that joy in our hearts, that joy inexpressible, unspeakable in our lives, and that joy being there even when we go through the difficulties of life. 
This is the second time that the fullness of joy has been spoken of. So how is it that you and I as believers can have a fullness of joy? Well, it's linked to, as we saw in chapter 15, verse 11, to abiding in Christ, that is just walking in obedience, keep my commandments, abide in my love, and you'll have a fullness of joy is what Jesus said. And now in prayer. Prayer is so important in our lives. And as we are men and women of prayer, going to the Father, desiring to line up with His will, asking in Jesus' name, as we go in prayer to Him, having closeness with the Lord, having you know relationship with the Father, then we will have a fullness of joy. So prayer is a very important ingredient in you and I having a fullness of joy. And Jesus continues in verse 25, these things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming where I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. The Father loves you. You pray to the Father in Jesus' name because now you have relationship, reconciliation with the Father, and you can speak to him directly because you love Jesus and you believe that he came forth from God. I, you know, am the one to the Father. It isn't that you pray in Mary's name. The way to the Father is not through Mary. It isn't through any of the canonized saints that we come to the Father or pray. It's in Jesus' name, who is alive and at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. But I do want to just draw attention again before we move on to what verse 27 tells us, that the Father loves you. And I think that it's important for us to, to realize that because sometimes Christians can have the idea that the Father, you know, is, is a mean, old, judgmental, cranky God, and Jesus is the one that is mellow and loving and kind of running interference for everybody. The Father loves you. And remember this, that in chapter 14, that Phyllis said, show us the Father that it may suffice us. And the answer of Jesus is, Philip, you've been with me all this time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one. If you want to know what the heart and nature and, and character of God is, then look at Jesus. And we know that he loves us. He loves us, for he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it pleases the Father that you are his. It pleases the Father when you go to him in prayer, in praise, through his son, Jesus Christ. And as we finish the chapter, in verse 29, his disciples said to him, See now, you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you, you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. So here is, is we're getting near the end of the chapter. This conversation continues. Yeah, we understand. We get it. You're speaking plainly to us. But they really didn't. They, they still were like a deer in the headlights kind of deal here. They knew that Jesus came from God. But they're still confused about the events that are about ready to take place here in just a few short hours. Uh, he's been talking to them plainly that he's going to go away 
that he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and elders, and he's going to be crucified, and he's going to rise again after three days, and then he's going to ascend back to the Father. But they're so distressed that they don't really understand, and he knows that. So Jesus answered them, do you, not, do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. These disciples, their faith is going to be tested. The hour has now come for me to take on the cup of suffering and death. And later on this night, again, he's going to be arrested in a short time. He's going to be bound up, and he's going to be handed over to the religious leaders and then to Rome. And at this time, Jesus, as he is bound up and taken away, all the disciples, what are they going to do? They're going to run away. They're going to be hiding. They're going to be scattered. They're going to be full of fear. Only John... John was the only one that was there with the religious leaders when Jesus went on trial, and he was the only one there at the cross. The other guys took off. They, they fled. Peter was in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest, but he was denying the Lord at that time. And here Jesus is saying, all this is going to happen. You're going to be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. But the Father is with me, and you can have peace. I've speaking these things to you that you may have peace. You may have peace because even though you're in the world, you're not of the world. You belong to me. And the world is going to give you tribulation. You know what? The world is going to give you and I tribulation. The Lord desires to give us peace. And we will, all of us, go through tribulation because we live in this world. We're in this world. But Jesus gives us words of hope and encouragement that we need to take to heart, every single one of us, and that is we can be of good cheer because he overcame the world. That's why we can have peace. That's why we can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. Be of good cheer literally means to take heart or be courageous because Jesus has overcome the world. And now we have peace with God because of the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, right? And now we can have the peace of God while we're in this world because the world will bring tribulation. Listen, again, they emphasize that the world is not your hope, the world is not your peace, the world is not your joy. The world will bring tribulation. There may be pleasure in the world for a short time, but tribulation is what the world brings. Jesus desires to bring peace. He desires to bring peace. It comes as we have peace with God through Jesus Christ and then the peace of God as we go to Him. As we go to Him and we stand on His promises as we pray to Him with thanksgiving, letting our requests be known to God and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as Philippians chapter 4 tells us. So we are promised tribulation. Because it is a world of sin and sickness and sorrow. The world is going to hate us and persecute us because we belong to Jesus. But we are promised peace in him. In me, you will have my peace, he says in verse 33 as we close the chapter here. And then as we go into chapter 17. Chapter 17, we see that somewhere between the upper room 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, chapter 17. This is the last chapter of the Upper Room Discourse. And somewhere between their journey of the Upper Room and before they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stops and he prays. And of course, it is in the Garden that he'll pray again, sweating great drops of blood before he's arrested and bound up. But as he prays here, and we're going to read just the first part of this through verse 5, that we see that Jesus, first of all, in the first five verses, he prays for himself. And then next time we'll see that he prays for his disciples in verses 6 through 19. And then he's going to pray for all future believers in verses 20 through 26. This is a very special prayer. This is an incredible prayer. This is a prayer where Jesus is really pouring out his heart. He's evaluating his life, what he has done in the world, in his ministry. Matter of fact, John Knox called this prayer the Holy of Holies in the Temple of Scripture. And we are given the privilege to have this prayer recorded for us as we get to see the heart of God through Jesus Christ. We get to understand the things that are most important to him. And that's why this prayer is extremely valuable to us as his children, as followers of Jesus Christ. Because in a way, what Jesus is doing, that as we go through this prayer, even though he's praying for himself, he's praying for his disciples, he's praying for future believers, what we see here is that he's going to tell us of the things that were important in this life of priority that please the Father. And as we look at this, we can see these truths that are given here and apply them in our lives that are important for us to be pleasing to the Father. You see, he's evaluating his life at the end of his life. We come to the end of the year, don't we? And at the end of the year, as we come to the end of 2014, it's a time where Christmas is over and, and we begin to hopefully just kind of slow down maybe a little bit in some ways. But what we usually do, this is a time of year where a lot of us, if not all of us, we begin to evaluate things, don't we? We begin to evaluate things, how the year went this last year, 2014, what it is that needs to be changed, what I'd like to accomplish in 2015, what I'd like to see happen. We evaluate things financially. We evaluate things concerning our health. Maybe, you know, I want to get more healthy, eat more healthy. Uh, we evaluate all kinds of areas when it comes to our children, when it comes to family members, when it comes to who we hang out with, we start evaluating things. We start uh, thinking about what are the things that are important, and, and that's good to do that at this time of the year. But we don't want to forget to do that spiritually. And as we read this prayer, there's going to be six things that are given to us that should be a part of our lives, that it should be a priority that we know is going to please the Father. As we make these applications to help us be of good cheer, to help us experience that abundant life and to have an effective life for the kingdom. So Jesus here, given this prayer, we can glean so much from it. We'll begin to look at two of those things today, and then next time we will see that there's four more truths that are here that we should apply to our lives that we know is going to be pleasing to the Father as we evaluate our lives. But in chapter 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. So glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. Jesus was going to be glorified but first he's going to be crucified. 
And through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the Father would be glorified. The first thing that I see here is Jesus, as he evaluates his life, as he's speaking to the Father, he was in line with the will of the Father. And when I pray, I need to get in line with the will of the Father. Sometimes I've had a few people say to me, and they're trying to sound spiritual, well, I don't pray for myself. And I say, really? Because I do. I pray for myself. I do a lot of praying for myself. And it's okay to pray for yourself. It's okay to come to the Lord and pray. You should read John 17 is what I tell them. Jesus prayed for himself. But in that, as there is nothing wrong with us lifting up our prayers for our own lives, our own needs, Jesus has already told his disciples to pray. Pray and ask. Please ask that your joy may be full. But as Jesus prays here in John 17, and later he will do the same thing in the garden in his agony there, his desire was to do the will of the Father, to glorify the Father. When we pray for ourselves, yes, we can go to our loving Father and cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Of course we can. We give him our needs, our desires, our questions. Asking for wisdom. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Ask a God and he'll give it to you. We can ask for counsel, for direction, for strength, for healing. Of course we can do that. That's the wonderful thing about prayer. We can go to our Father who loves us and desires for us to go to him. But may we learn from our Lord that when we do pray for ourselves, primarily it's not to try to get God to do my will, but for him to change my heart to do his will. That is the mature Christian. That is a prayer of faith. In trusting God that he will do what is best for you. That he'll do what's best for me. And, and Lord, you know what is best. And here are my desires. Here, here's my wants. Here, here's what's on my heart. And I give it to you, Lord. And if it's your will, I know that you'll work it out. If it's good, I know you won't withhold it from me, as Romans chapter 8 says. But if it's not your will, that's okay, because I know that you have the very best for me in my life. I think what I'm saying is we don't want to be a Burger King Christian, all right? You know, Burger King, the famous slogan uh, is, have it your way. And we don't want to be a Christian where we think, I'm going to have it my way. And if I don't get the extra pickles, then I'm going to get upset with you, Lord. And maybe you've gone through a season of this, maybe you know somebody who's going through a season that I've met Christians and talked to them, when they didn't get what they asked for, they get all upset and angry at God, and why should I pray anymore? And why should I go to the Lord anymore? As we look at Jesus' prayer, we can learn how we can pray for ourselves, Lord, I want to do your will, and I want to glorify you in my life. That's what I want to do. So first of all, praying for the will of the Father. Second of all, that we would glorify the Father in our lives. Are we doing that presently? What we do in our lives, are we bringing glory to the Lord? Sometimes there's just that innate desire that we want the glory to be brought to us. God's word declares that he will not share his glory with any man or any woman. We are to bring glory to the Lord. We are to bring glory to Him. 
It was Jesus that said that you're to do your works before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Isn't it very, very interesting as you go through the Gospels that Jesus worked in all kinds of miracles, that it says repeatedly that the people saw the miracles and they glorified God. And as the Lord sees us working, as we are praying, first of all, the first truth to apply in our lives, that Lord, that you, Lord, please, that Lord, I just want to be in line with your will for my life because he wants to do what's the very best for you as you enter into a new year. Sometimes we think, Lord, do you even see me? Do you care? But as we go to the Lord, he desires for you to go to him. He loves you as we've been told that you may have a fullness of joy and that even when we go through the tribulations, we can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. He's made a way to the Father. And as we pray, Lord, I want your will to be done in my life. And second of all, I want to bring glory to you in my life. And I want to bring glory to me. I pray that Calvary Chapel is a church, that we don't bring glory to a church, that it isn't the name Calvary Chapel that saves people. It's Jesus Christ. And for us to be a light and bring people to Jesus, that we would bring glory to him in everything that we do. And so two things that you can put in your notes, that first of all, that Lord, I want to do your will. And then second of all, that Father, I desire to bring glory to you, desire to bring glory to Jesus Christ. We're going to cover one more. I said two, but we got time for one more. Verse two. And as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We will see that five times in this prayer that Jesus refers to his own as those the Father gave him. The Father has ordained the rule of the Son over all the earth. He has power over all flesh. But he won't force us to believe in him, will he? To receive eternal life, which is knowing God through Jesus Christ, his son. And then in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. Again, we see this truth. That you and I, as we are in this life, we should bring glory to the Lord. And I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Not only doing the will of the Father, asking, Lord, I want to be in your will. That's our prayer. But second of all, bring glory to you, Lord. And then thirdly, to be able to say in our lives, I have finished the work which you've given me to do. I know that probably that most of you are saying, I got a lot of work that I got to get done before the year ends in these next couple of days. Or I have a lot of work that is coming my way as we start a new year. We're already beginning to think that, you know, the holiday season is going to be over. And it's going to be back to school, back to work. It may be, you know, all kinds of things that we're thinking about. I know I am as well. Hey, you know, the new year's coming. We get to finish and we get to start again. And there's a lot to do, a lot of ministry that needs to take place. And what my prayer is, is that, Lord, help me to finish the work that you've given me to do. Sometimes in our lives, it feels like we never finish the work, does it? It seems like we're always just moving forward. But here's the thing to remember being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. And Lord, I want to finish the work. I'm so glad that Jesus finished the work, that he went to the cross. 
and cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I've completed the atoning work of dying for your sins that we may have life and that we may have relationship with the Father. But Lord, in this life, I want to be in your will. I want to bring glory to you. And Lord, help me. Help me to finish the work that you've given me to do. We've talked about this quite extensively when we were in the book of Nehemiah earlier in the year. And it was Nehemiah that it says that he finished the work. He was just determined to build that wall around Jerusalem because that's the task that God had given him to do. And even though he had all the enemies that came against him and the distractions that he was dealing with and even problems within the children of Israel, he was up on the wall to finish the work. And he said, I won't get off the wall. That It's a good work that you've given me to do, Lord, and I'm going to finish this work and the work would be done. The Lord has a work for you and I to do. And may it be our prayer that, Lord, help me, help me to finish the work that you've given me to do in this life and to bring glory to you and to be in your will. Well, next time we'll look at four other very important applications that we can make in this prayer as he begins to pray for his disciples. It's going to be very important, very, very uh, much of a, uh, you know, edification and instruction for us that will be good as we evaluate things at the end of this year as we enter into a new year, what we are to be about spiritually. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for... Lord, just this uh, passage, this upper room discourse that has been so powerful over the last several weeks. And, and Lord, as we do go and enter into a new year, that um, the difficulties that we may experience, the tribulations that the world brings to us, that we can be of good cheer because we have you. We have you that... Uh, to, Lord, to guide us and direct us, to strengthen us, to give us wisdom, and to give us a good cheer in our hearts, to be courageous in whatever is before us. You haven't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Father, I do want to pray, if anybody is here this morning, that you've never come to Jesus Christ, that he did cry out, it is finished. And he is our salvation. He is our sacrifice for sin. There is none other. Jesus proved who he was, the son of God who died for our sins because he conquered sin and death by rising from the grave. And the tomb is empty and he was seen. Many infallible proofs, as Paul would write it, to the Corinthian church, seen by the apostles, by Paul himself, by 500 people at once. He's alive. And he's been given all authority over life to judge. He took the judgment for your sin. And now all you have to do is believe. It doesn't come by being religious or trying to be good or in your own efforts. It comes by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you. I pray if that means anything to anyone, that you would realize that you are a sinner separated from God and you can have peace with God now as you come to Jesus and find life through Him. Surrender your heart to Him. Turn to Him and cry out to Him now. 
If you can pray right where you are, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God who went to the cross and died for my sins. And you cried out, it is finished. You've done the work. And you rose from the grave and you are alive. And I know that you're knocking on the door of my heart and I'm going to let you in. And Lord, please sit upon the throne of my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your death on the cross. And you have turned my sorrow into joy now, the joy of the Lord, and bringing salvation and forgiveness of sin. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, I just want to pray for everyone here and for this church. As we close the year, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for the wonderful work that you've done here at Calvary Chapel. May we always bring glory to you, not to ourselves. And Lord, in these days in which we are living in, we know that Jesus is the promise he will come again. That we're getting nearer to that time. We don't know the day or the hour, but Lord, we know the season that we're in. And I pray that we would be ones that we desire. That Lord, that we would be in your will. That we would glorify you and finish the work that you have for us to do. And even though the tribulations and the sorrows will come into our lives and the difficulty comes to this church and because the world hates us and we live in a society where it's becoming more godless, but Lord, help us to be a light and help us to look to you for everything, for our provision, for, Lord, for the things that you desire to do. May we be faithful in giving truth and the gospel and standing on your word and not denying the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for everyone here, for our families, that you would help us in this new year to keep our eyes on you. And Lord, to trust you in everything. Father, that you will be with us and we don't have to be heavy of heart and troubled in our hearts because Jesus has overcome the world. So Lord, I pray that you would do great and mighty things through us, our families, through this church for the kingdom of God because we know you want to. And may we never take the glory away from you. So Lord, take us home. Help us to finish the years just knowing that you desire a great to do a great and mighty thing in our lives and in this church in the coming year and to find strength in you and to have a desire to walk in your ways to do your will to glorify you and Lord I want to do the work that you've called me to do and be committed to it so Lord thank you for this time and it's in Jesus name that we pray and all of God's people said